welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in child development and education, and a lifelong teacher and learning. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, trauma-informed, brain-based self-regulation program that combines discipline, social-emotional learning, and school culture into one integrated whole. Today, we're going to talk with Jill Molly. In her 20-something years in the field of education, Jill has played many roles. She's been a teacher. She's been a guidance counselor. She's been a behavior disorder instructor. She's been in the role of assistant principal. She's a master conscious discipline instructor, and she's been with me from the get-go. She's trained and presented all over the country, all over the world. She's a coach. She's my friend. And I am tickled pink that she continues to come back and talk with us. And we're going to be talking about multi-tiered systems of support, RTI or MTSS, as you know it for short. So some things I want to kind of get clear before we bring Jill on is some things we've heard before. If you are aware of conscious discipline, you've heard me say this often. Discipline is relationship specific. And I think if we just reflect, you know, everyone knew probably by the age of two or three, not necessarily cognitively, but we somehow knew already that you could do this with daddy, you can get away with this with mom, and probably you can do anything you dag well want to with grandma or grandpa. So we learn quite quickly what we can get away with each person. Also, we learn in context. You know, when you go to church, you're going to have to sit there and maybe color the E's and the A's and the O's on the program, whereas when you go on the playground, you get to run, jump, and hoop it up a little bit. So we must understand this because we used to believe that we had to fix children. So if a child had a problem, we would fix the child. So you see this all the time. You know, I'm going to take, you know, when the child starts crying, hand them to mom. Let them fix them. I mean, all the way from handing them to mom to send them to the principal to fix them to taking them to counselor and dropping them off while you go to the grocery store so come back and get your child fixed. So we've been doing this forever. And even in our own relationships, you know, suggesting to our significant other, you need to go to counseling and get yourself fixed. Yet, you just heard me say, Discipline is relationship-specific. How we behave changes in a relationship. Have you ever seen an ex walking down the street and they're in a pair of shorts or something? You're like, oh, my God, I was with that person for 15 years. They'd never wear shorts. And now, look, they're wearing shorts. So it's all about the relationship. So what needs to be enhanced? What work do we need to do to change the quality of something? It's the quality of the relationship. So when we go to make IEPs or when we go to make plans for children who struggle with behaviors, it's not about within the child. It's within the context of relationships. So Jill's going to dig down in this and explain it a beautiful way through story as she normally does so that each of us understand this. So welcome, Jill, once again to Real Talk for Real Teachers. Thank you, Becky. It's an honor to be here and share with the audience something I feel passionately about and something that will help them support students who struggle with behaviors. I was a behavior disorder teacher and um, I taught third grade for a couple of years, 
But while I was the guidance counselor, that's when I really learned the biggest struggle about how to help children that had either academic or behavior struggles. As the guidance counselor back then, that was many years ago, 20 years ago, I was kind of like the gateway into special ed. And so folks had to essentially go through interventions with me, the guidance counselor, in order for them to be able to get services for students that they believed perhaps had some kind of a special ed struggle. And I always felt like I was just a bunch of hoops and that teachers really already knew already that this child needed to be labeled um, special services. And they were just kind of going through the motions with me. And so it, it never felt like it was a a productive use of my time, of their time. And it didn't feel like they would take any of the strategies back that I had suggested and and put them into practice with any kind of fidelity. They were just, you know, going through the checklist of whatever they had to do. And so it was kind of like a, I guess, a one size fits all. The goal was, you know, wasn't yet to really meet differentiated needs through the multi-tiered system that we have now. So now we have RTI or MTSS, um, the multi-tiered system of supports. And it all really started um, back with um, RTI, when RTI kind of came from the special ed community. And the special ed community realized that there there was really a need for a perception shift. So the feeling that I was having, the special ed community was having the same feeling. And at that point, children were viewed as the the deficit that they had was within them. And so that interventions were really just a one-way street. And they were just there to fix them, so to speak, you know, if you can imagine that in air quotes, to to fix kids. And that lent itself to, to a belief system that counselors were supposed to fix clients that came to them and teachers were supposed to send children out then to have principals fix them. And so when RTI came around, um, you know, the hope was that it would build more of a two-way street linking adult action to children's response. And the good news was that that paired so beautifully with conscious discipline because that was also our belief system that we believe that um, adults change first and um, then children change as a response to um, the way that the adult has made that shift themselves. So uh, most of us know about the RTI and MTSS um, tiered system. So there are um, universal, and those are just structures and strategies that we use with all um, populations of children. And, And then we realize that some of those um, structures and strategies are just not going to be enough for a certain tier of our our kiddos who just have, you know, um, bigger needs. And so those children then receive strategies and structures in in more of a small group setting. And then um, there are always going to be folks and children who the universal is is too large, the small group isn't just small enough, and these kiddos um, need more of a, a one-on-one approach. Well, here's where we 
kind of get sideways. As we begin to write implementation plans, what many of us do is we really focus on just teaching missing skills. And certainly that is critical piece, but we've missed one of the biggest pieces. And the biggest piece is safety and connection are the foundational skills for children. And when you increase children's sense of safety and connection, it fosters brain integration and willingness. We know that discipline is relationship specific. And so when children don't have willingness and you pour all these executive skills into a plan on top, what was happening, of course, was teachers were saying, I did proximity because that was always one that I had to use when I was uh, the guidance counselor. And so they would say, I did proximity, but in my head, I just knew that they were so angry as they stood next to that kid. And so there was no safety or connection with that kid. And so the fact that the teacher was standing close to the child wasn't actually any kind of um, strategy. It was actually more of a threat. And so I would use that strategy with some teachers and just that teacher's proximity would actually change some of the behaviors. But then in other situations, the teacher would come back and said, I tried your proximity eight different times on eight different days at eight different, you know, subject areas. And it didn't matter. The child still, you know, kicked the chair over and still yelled out. And so One of the things that I think as you begin to write implementation plans for kids, understanding how to put the pieces together, because I think that most of us um, have many of the critical pieces. We're just not always exactly sure how to build that plan. So in the world of conscious discipline, when we're building intervention plans for children, um, the first thing that we're looking at is we're looking at the behavior. And when we look at the behavior, we want the teacher to write down exactly what they see. And so that would be typically what we call the unwanted behavior. So you're seeing hitting or you're seeing talking back or non-responsive kids. And then the next thing that we want to do is we want to ask that teacher to flip. So flip that behavior from what you don't want to what you do want. Well, herein lies one of the biggest struggles for teachers because they're super focused on what they we don't want, all of us are, but we don't live in a society where we focus on what we want. And so this is something that really actually requires some practice and, and some folks um, need some support in being able to do this. And so some of the ways that we would um, flip behavior is we, we would look at what is the behavior that you are seeing and if If that behavior that you're seeing is physical, so it's hands-on, pushing and shoving and kicking and um, pushing over chairs, whether it's at another person or whether it's just physical in general, or just complete shutting down. So that child's just laying their head down on their desk. They're kind of unresponsive. That speaks to us and says, okay, this kiddo really needs um, some of the safety pieces of conscious discipline as a foundational piece. So before I'm going to look at any kind of skill, executive skill deficit, I'm going to look at building a plan with what we call 
there are five different pieces that we would put in a plan for a child who has safety. And you would evaluate. You don't necessarily need all five of them, but we use an acronym to remember remember it or a mnemonic device, and that's NARCS, N-A-R-C-S. So the N stands for noticing. So a child that is exhibiting a lot of physical behaviors in the classroom, we use noticing language in lots of different ways. We notice children in an upset state. We also just really notice um, everything and noticing the difference in that skill that we don't see happening in a lot of classrooms is typically we judge children. So we say things like, I like the way, or I need you to, as opposed to simply helping children bring a conscious awareness to um, you know what's happening inside of them. So noticing is one skill. The next skill that is definitely a, a needed practice is adult assertiveness. So as we work with children that have lots of physical um, behaviors, adults practicing their skill of assertiveness uh, would be the next piece that we would actually write into the plan. So the plan wouldn't only contain things for the child to do, but it would also contain things for the adult and the larger community of adults to do. So this wouldn't just be for the teacher. This would be for the lunchroom because maybe that child gets overstimulated or overaroused in the lunchroom because it's loud or before school. So, so this child, you know, all adults would practice adult language. The other thing that we would do is we would um, put together routines and pictures that clearly define the goal, certainly during transition times and and during uh, different activities. But those kiddos would absolutely need to have those things that are expected of them, the routines, the morning routine, the putting the homework away routine, all of those things would be depicted in pictures. And then we would have frequent downloading of composure. One of the plans that I actually worked with a a kiddo and the teacher and I were working on it and and we had a great relationship. And so she was feeling very safe and connected to me. And so I said, are you willing to really recognize how often you download calm into this child? And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about, Jill. And I said, so as part of this behavior plan, I think that we think that we're doing this a lot, but I I think that we have to have, you know, facts. We're really good at collecting data on kids, but we don't always collect that same data on ourselves. So I asked her if she'd be willing to put 10 pennies in her left pocket starting in the morning. And then every time she consciously, for this specific child, walked up, stood next to this child, and took a great big deep breath, exhaled, and did that a couple of times, maybe three times. Every time she did that throughout the day, if she did three deep breaths, she would take a penny out of her left pocket, and then she would put it in her right pocket. Of course, at the end of the day, she would notice, oh, wow, okay, so this day I actually only two deep breaths for, you know, this little guy who I have on this behavior plan, who I know has some real physical stuff going on. So I've got to increase my level of downloading calm because we just kept super busy throughout the day on our clacker just clacks like crazy. And we start feeling anxious inside and we're, you know, making commands, get in line. It's time for lunch, move over, you know, you ask what I ask your friend to do, you know? And so we were barking lots of commands at kids and sometimes not um, practicing um, that downloading of composure. And then the last thing that we would talk about um, would be safety, the safe place and using safety language. So um, instead of saying things like, um, it's not safe to jump, 
off of the step, we would say, walk like this off the step so you're safe and all your friends are safe as well. So we would, you know, kind of paint that picture of safety. I go into a lot of schools and what I hear them doing is they use the word safe. That's not safe behavior, but they never paint that picture of the child, what safe behavior would actually be. So those would be some of the foundational pieces that we would do first and foremost for a child that we see a lot of physical behaviors. The next thing that we're going to do is if you're seeing power struggles, so power struggles are really the piece that, that you're seeing a lot of. Those are kiddos that are are saying, I don't belong, um, I don't feel love, I don't feel like I, I belong in this class family. And so the mnemonic device or the word that we use to remind ourselves of the different pieces that you, the six different things that you can do when you're seeing lots of power struggles, that's reject because that's what happens for children is they're feeling rejected. So the first thing would be rituals for connection. So we're going to build rituals in rituals are the glue that built, you know, that kind of bond your family together. Our grandmothers were amazing and grandfathers were amazing at rituals. And we've kind of let some of these go. And so we have absent child wish rituals and wish well rituals and, um, all kinds of different things that kind of bond and blend our families together, um, throughout the entire year. Another thing that we would do is encouragement for small successes. And so we would constantly be noticing and encouraging. Again, you did it. You scooted over so your friend had space. That was helpful. You opened the door so we could all walk in. That was kind. And so we would use those statements where we describe them. And we start with a you statement instead of an I statement. We would start with a you statement. Jobs for opportunity of being of service, that is a a wonderful way uh, to help children um, have that sense of belonging when they're being of service to others. Empathy for kids when they're feeling over aroused. And so we would say things like, um, you were hoping that we were going to have more time to work on the math and it's time to stop. It's super hard, but we're going to get through this together. Again, that helps to um, derail essentially that um, power struggle that we so often are feeling. Choices to help kids focus. So sometimes it's just there are too many things. And so we would say uh, it's time to pick up and it's just a power struggle. And so we would say, um, are you interested in picking up the red blocks or the green blocks? And so we give those choices to really help kind of narrow that focus in, a, in an overwhelming situation. And finally, we would really work on coaching to help them become part of the school family. And so sometimes children don't know how to connect with other kids. And so that would be um, a way that we would do that. Finally, um, some of the pieces as we start to really build the scaffolding of executive skills. So now we're ready, you know, to, to build some of those executive skills and that's critical. And if you are using the conscious discipline book on page 291, 292, 293, and 94, it talks about those executive skills. And it talks about to remember some, here are just a few little tips as you're um, writing your um, intervention plans. Novel situations and stressed children require more scaffolding of those executive skills. Prefrontal lobe scaffolding is labor intensive. It's going to require us to be present 
to be connected and to be attuned. That means when a child's eyebrows scrunch down and their lips purse, instead of saying, I'm going to ignore that pouty face, we're going to say, oh, your face is telling me that you're having a hard time getting started. And so we're going to see their nonverbal language as information for us. Here's the other thing, of course, we have to possess the skill the executive skill that we're trying to scaffold. So if I don't have impulse control, it's going to be super hard for me to be able to pass that on to a kiddo. Self-regulation begins in the right hemisphere. So anytime possible on your intervention plans, adding music and play, movement, art, and visuals are going to be key factors. Um, Sometimes what happens is folks believe that if I add music and movement and art, Well, that's only a reward, but again, self-regulation begins in the right hemisphere and the right hemisphere is nonverbal and is the arts and movement hemisphere. And so that's why we're going to add those to our intervention plans. And finally, disconnected kiddos, they don't have access to their executive skills due to the lack of the brain integration. And so we're just never, ever going to forget that safety and connections are always going to be your key starting points. So we're not going to hurdle over safety and connection and just start talking about, well, okay, it seems like this kid is missing um, cognitive flexibility, so I'm going to do this. Seems like this kid is missing impulse control, so I'm going to jump in on this. Seems like this kid is missing attention skills. Those are critical pieces, but first, those foundational pieces have to happen. So if you're going to kind of go back to four pieces, so what are the four pieces to write an intervention plan? So the first one is, if you feel like it's physical, then you're going to use NARCs, those um, five different things that really help build the safety for children. If you feel like power struggles are really what's going on for this kiddo, then you're going to use those six skills, reject um, rituals and encouragement language and jobs, empathy, uh, choices um, to help them focus and really coaching that school family. So number two, helping the teacher flip from what they don't want to what they do want. So that's number two. The first thing is safety and connection always going there. Then we want teachers to be able to tell us what is the behavior that they don't want. For example, this kiddo talks out. And so what is the behavior that we do want? Well, we want this kiddo to have self-regulation and self-awareness to be able to raise their hand instead of just yelling out. Um, Let's say that this kid talks back. Or they say, you know, things constantly. So, okay, so if they're talking back, that's what the hurtful behavior or what we don't want. And so what we would like is we would like that kid to have more cognitive flexibility. So if they say, he's in my spot, that's my spot, I want that spot. That's a child who's who's kind of getting stuck. And so looking and helping teachers flip from the behavior that they don't want to what they do want. The third thing is after they've decided on the behavior that they do want, now what skill, what missing skill coordinates with that? So if I'd like children to be able to, instead of hitting, if I'd like them to be able to sit crisscross on the carpet and listen to the story, what skill would allow them to sit crisscross and listen on the carpet? And so you would decide out of the 12 executive skills, What is that skill? 
And the fourth and final thing that you would do is build a teaching plan. So this intervention ends so differently because typically we're building a plan of punishment. What am I going to do to the child who keeps doing things to other kids? So you're making this giant shift from the fourth and final thing is not building a plan of what I'm going to do. Am I going to have them walk the line or have them, you know, sit out of this activity? Instead, how am I going to teach the missing skill, and I'm going to build a plan just like I do in academics when I have a child who's missing an academic skill. I'm going to teach that missing plan. So I hope you have enjoyed some new ideas and some new strategies. It's been such a pleasure to share my journey with all of you today. I'll be wishing you well each step along the way as you begin to build wonderful new implementation plans that build skills that are missing into children. Thanks so much, Becky, for this opportunity. Bye. Wow, Jill, you are incredible. And you reminded us once again that we can't teach skills until we provide the baseline of safety and connection something we all can remember. We can't ask anyone to change without their willingness. Otherwise, it's just coercion, and coercion gets us nowhere except into power struggles. So thank you for your brilliance. So what is Becky up to? Well, I'm heading to New Haven, Connecticut, to Yale University. My first trip up, so I'm excited about that. And the reason I'm going is to be part of the Yale-China Initiative, And I'm meeting with some representatives from China and representatives from Yale University for a potential partnership between Conscious Discipline and China. It's very exciting, and I look forward to it. And what are we celebrating this time? Well, we seem to be in the news a lot. The Daily News in Washington State did an article on Kessler Elementary, which is a conscious discipline school, and they raved about what's happening in that school. And it's always nice to hear the feedback and the graciousness with which people implement conscious discipline and the success they have. And another one is in the Washington Post. I did an article on Vanessa Drum, who's the principal of Langley Elementary in Washington, D.C. So we've got Washington on one side and Washington on the other side of the country, and uh, we're visible all through the middle, and we are indeed blessed. So until next time, take a deep breath with me. And remember to wish everyone well. And until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.